taking a slight break from Colossians, though themes from Colossians will be in this message. But uh, let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2, reading, starting in verse, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow, follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example of those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority." Lord, I pray that we would be those who are preserved, those who are not led astray by the false teachings of the world around us, false teachings in even the church where many are um, embracing lies and heresies about you. I pray, Father, that I would speak your words this morning, that your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom to hear and apply your word to our lives, that we would be warned as well as convicted, Lord, to be discerning in all that we say and do and all that we hear, Lord, that we would be uh, bastions of truth, that we would turn to your word. Whenever the devil comes in with lies, Lord, that we would turn to your word and find truth therein and not be led astray. I pray, Father, that our ears would be ready to hear, that our hearts would be like fresh soil, ready to receive the seed of your word. Lord, I pray for our children that they too would hear and understand this morning and begin to see their need for you and see their need for truth that lasts forever. We pray your Holy Spirit over us all this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I imagine us on a journey... And I was thinking about this time in Guatemala that we had. Well, just about anywhere outside of the United States, you ride in buses and you imagine your life about to end. Maybe you you haven't been in that situation before, but a lot of times the way they drive, you're like, we're that close to the edge and they're going as fast as they can go. Do they not know how dangerous this is? One time in Ecuador, we were in a, the, the similar to a, a Greyhound bus, and we're on the mountainside, and I guess the road had washed out where we were supposed to go, 
to get from the place we were staying to the town that we were going to. And so the bus was driving down this road, and the tires are like this far from a cliff. You're just thinking, all it takes is a little shift. And, and the thing is, it's not a road, it's gravel. So I, I remember Megan, I think she remembers this moment. She's like, why are we here? Are we sure we're on the right bus? Because <laughs> we're not, it's not like we're going to a small city. It's actually one of the largest cities in, in Ecuador. But because of the, the weather, that road had washed out. And we were right on the edge. Or in Guatemala once, well, not once. I, I rode the buses more than Megan did. But um, they like to race, these drivers, because if they get to the location where people are first, then they get the customers. And so they're driving down the road, and they see a, there's another bus in front of them. They call them chicken buses. Why? Because chickens are typically up in the racks, or geese, or whoever know, who knows what kind of animal might be on the roof. But the, the bus driver has a helper called Ayudante in Spanish, and he's sitting on the, on the roof, and he's yelling to the driver, Go, 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 or stop. And they're trying to pass one another going around hairpin curves. Just imagine, uh, we have some new folks here. Imagine West Virginia roads. Have you ever been on some of those hairpin turn roads? Yes. So it's, it's identical. Maybe not as tall a mountains, but they're just going around these hairpins and they're looking up the hill to see if anybody's coming so they can pass this other one in the curve. Now, how many of you all want to be on that bus? <laughs> Me either. And, but as Christians, a lot of teachers are, are that way. They are putting not only themselves, but everyone in the bus with them at a place where they could be destroyed, could, could die. And while it happens every day in Guatemala, wrecks don't happen all the time. It seems to be okay. But it does happen. When it does happen, it's catastrophic. And as Christians, we must be prepared. Because there are heresies running around all the time. And they're, they're not necessarily new. A lot of them are old and they're just rewrapped and, and re-delivered as something pretty or kind. And so when Peter is warning the church, he's saying, look, this is going to happen. It's already happened. There's going to continue to be false prophets and false teachers. And they're doing this. They're trying to slide it under the rug. They're trying to catch you unaware. They don't want you to be discerning. Right? Because he says here in verse 1 of 2 Peter, secretly introduce... The devil doesn't believe in overt, though sometimes we see it. It's very rare that it's just going to be in your face. It's often tainted with truth, or truth tainted with lies. It, the devil just wants you to, to back, you know, let's, let's not hold to that standard right there. Let's, let's back off a little bit so we can be okay. But what happens eventually well the the result of these heresies is that we deny the master who bought us 
And this is what Paul is concerned about in Colossians that we've been going through for the last months. Paul is concerned that these people are believing a lie, a heresy, that is drawing them away from Christ to another Christ, a a different Christ. And you say, well, why is this message a big deal? I've got four or five specific things that I've noticed, thanks to uh, Mr. Lanham, uh, an additional one, that I've been holding on to. And I hope I have time to really dig into each of these issues that I'm seeing. But a lot of them are so similar to what the church in Colossae was dealing with that it's very helpful for us to see we're not different. There is heresy running around in the United States and around the world today, and it's being advertised on Facebook. It's being advertised on YouTube. It's all over. But if we are discerning and we are not being led astray, we're, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to what is being said, we can judge that as wrong, as a lie. Because if we don't, we will be, verse 2, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. So what's happening? These people are claiming to be Christians, but their life does not Live up to it. We can look throughout our culture. There are so many celebrities who are saying, I am a Christian. But when you look at their life, or the words they say, for example, there are some celebrities out there that are proclaiming that abortion is okay. I am not okay with that. And that the scripture does not align with that. Now, does that mean that that person couldn't be saved? Possibly. It could be that they have, they have been so indoctrinated in the world that they have not realized by God's grace yet that that is wrong. So we have to be careful. Because just because somebody got saved doesn't mean that everything is fixed. How many of you all know? <laughs> I, I didn't get fixed day one. A lot of things changed. My heart changed. But there's a lot of things that have to change. So... But we have to be careful as, as Christians to not jump on that, that bandwagon of, well, so-and-so said it, so it must be right. Myself included. Who cares what I say? If it doesn't align with God's Word, then you, every one of you, should feel free to speak to me and say, I think you're wrong. Because that's what the church is for. We're, I'm just one who has a gift to teach. Not That doesn't make me above authority or above the church or any single person here. Now, I may disagree with you, but we have to be able as a church to speak to one another and to encourage one another to to build up one another as well as bring conviction when it's needed. Because if we don't, that will happen. The truth will be maligned. There are tons of people running around saying they're Christians and they don't know the truth. I mean, I see it on Facebook. People that I know, that their, their life does not line up with truth. And some of these people are pastors. And I have to, I have to be careful because I can become that person. Paul was constantly talking about, unless I be led astray. He's constantly fighting sin 
If we do not constantly put to the test the things that we're hearing, we too can be led astray. We can believe that that's okay. And we become greedy. Because it's, it's almost, it's, it's so incredible. You see someone that seems to be a strong believer. And what's the first thing that goes? What's the first thing that goes? Their convictions. And with their conviction come, when they get let go of all their convictions, then comes in the world and all its thinking. And what is the, what is the number one thing the world lives for? Money and power. So greed comes in. When we do not deal with sin and we stop believing the truth of God's Word, greed is the obvious result. That doesn't mean that everyone who isn't a believer is running around greedy, but that you don't see it all the time. Some people it's more obvious. Well, they're just doing that for money. I can think of a specific example, but I'm not going <laughs> to pick it up. But then there's others that they're greedy, but they don't let you know it. They don't want you to know because they know that even in our culture, there's still this Christian principle that greed is wrong. But still, our world lives on that. But they do this, they... They allow their greed to lead you astray, to exploit you, verse 3. They, they exploit you with false words. They, they, maybe they even use the right words, but their meaning is not the same. This is why as believers, we need to find out what people mean when they say what they say. Because it may be that they're saying the same thing, but they're using different words, which is good. Maybe there is agreement there. Or they could be using the same words you're using, but they're not defining them the same way you are. I mean, language is a changing thing, right? It's changed more in the last 20 years since the advent of the Internet than in, I mean, ages. That's why the King James Version lasted for so long, because there, there was like a standard of English that was transferred from that time to today. But now, language is changing so much that there are people, even in my family, who have a hard time reading King James because they don't understand the words. That's how much the English has changed. So we have to be careful as believers to, one, not assume that because they're using the same words that they mean the same thing, and to not assume that because they're using different words that they mean something different. They may be using something wrongly and you don't realize it. And so it's, that's why we, as believers we shouldn't jump to conclusions. We should dig deeper. What do you mean when you say X, Y, Z? And then we are able to compare it with, one, what we believe God's Word says, and then compare what they're saying to God's Word itself. Don't, don't just assume that your opinion has arrived. My opinion has to be transformed to His will, not mine. He 
continues to describe these men. He says, their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Their judgment is coming. It may seem like, well, they're okay. You know, just like those bus drivers in Guatemala that are passing one another. Oh, they're getting from point A to point B every day, so that must be okay. No, that's not safe. They care more about the money that they're going to get from these extra uh, riders, bus riders, than they care about the safety of the ones they already have. I mean, this is a caricature of a lot of churches. They're more about numbers and money than they are about where are we going to arrive to the place that we're supposed to be arriving in one piece. Do I care? As a, as a father, we talked about this two weeks ago, do I care enough about my family to not risk their walk with God for some fame or some anything? Am I putting something above their relationship with Christ? Am I valuing my work or my, my reputation more than the souls of the people God has put in my life? even here at this church? Do I care more about getting more people in here or do I care enough about your souls to make sure, hey, even if 10 more people don't walk in that door in the time that I preach here, that's okay because if God preserves everyone that's in here, not that I'm saying a church should be growing, obviously, but I don't want... A church where there's hundreds of people and I know only ten. That's that's not healthy. And so, as believers, we have to 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 come to the realization that just because judgment doesn't hasn't seemed to have come down upon someone, doesn't mean they're not wrong. What is the fruit of their life saying? What is the? Do they actually exhibit the fruit of the spirit? Because if you look at what Jesus says, for example, look with me at Matthew chapter 7. In verse 14 or 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? No, obviously, you're not going to get an apple from an orange tree. It just doesn't happen. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits." This is not new. You look in the Old Testament, they are constantly called to judge what the false prophets 
or what all prophets are saying, and see, do they line up with God? Because it's when we determine, well, this person is so high in authority that their word is more important than the word of God that we are led astray. Look with me in Matthew 24. Because this isn't the only time that Jesus warns about false teachers. So Matthew 24, verse 24 Well, we can actually read a little bit further up. Verse 22. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. So this is talking about the end times, last days. For false Christs, And false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. So you're telling me that there are people who will come to pass, who will proclaim I'm Christ or will proclaim I'm a prophet, who will actually have power. They will be able to do miracles and and wonders. That's what he's saying. So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Those who God has chosen, these people are able to do powers. But the problem is, let's see what he says. Behold, I have told you in advance, so that if they say, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he gives us a very vivid illustration, verse 28. He says, Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. It's it's a similar analogy to the fruit. We must be discerning. We need the Holy Spirit to give us discernment so that we aren't led astray. Because there are so many lies being spread, whether it's about Christ himself, or false teaching about how the Bible works, or what we are to believe. This destruction, this judgment is coming. We need to be discerning the fruit of these people. I remember I was in Guatemala and I I really liked this church. It was the first church I'd been to that had really amazing music in in a good way. Because in Guatemala, the crank, the sound is so loud that you can't, you feel it. And you're sitting in the back row. You're not up front. I mean, most churches, you can't even think (laughs) during a service. It's so loud. I don't know what the cultural thing is, but it's very rare to find a church. Well, I found this church that, I mean, beautiful, beautiful lyrics, very solid lyrics. They actually wanted to hear the congregation sing. I was like, whoa, this is, this is a blessing. And, so I started going there when I was learning Spanish, and when I, one Sunday, I showed up and I'm like, why are there a bunch of white people here? No offense. <laughs> just doesn't happen where I was staying. Well, an apostle had come. Oh, if, if that warns you at all. But an apostle from the U.S. had come, and he was sharing about what God had used him in. 
And that was the last time I ever went to that church. You know why? Because this guy had claimed many signs, but the way he talked about everything that God had used him in was extremely prideful. There was zero humility, humility in the way that he talked. It wasn't ascribing honor to God as much as to himself. Unfortunately, I had to hear it in English and then translate it into Spanish. So I heard it twice. <laughs> and it was heartbreaking for me because I saw this church and I, I knew people in this church who were following God. But they're hearing men like him who are drawing people away with lies. And it, as Christians, they are out there. It's not a new thing. It's not an old thing. It's been here since the beginning of time. Since the time that Satan said, has God said? To this moment, there have been people running around speaking lies to draw people astray. Now, some of them actually believe their own lies. Some of them do not. They know they're lying. But as believers, we must realize that if the fruit is bad, if there are vultures flying around, there's a problem. And sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you just get a, it's like the Holy Spirit just gives you a, a little check in your spirit. And you wait until He gives you clarity. Of what, what is this? Why do I have a check? Now, I've had that with some people, and God changed my mind, because I realized it was, it was personal. I thought the check was from the Lord, and the Lord said, uh, let's fix that. <laughs> You're in the wrong right here. But as, as believers, we must be sensitive to the Spirit, be sensitive to what's going on, and being paying attention to, instead of becoming full-fledged followers of these people that are popular... Some of them are, in, are following Jesus. I'm not saying they aren't. But we have to be careful. We have to be discerning. Because the reason Paul says we need to be discerning is verse 4. He's giving this statement right here saying, If God did not spare angels, I mean angels, people who are not people, beings who live with God, if he did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And then he gives us some more examples. He says, and did not preserve or spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah. Why, Why Noah? Because he believed. He trusted God. The other ones might have said, hmm, sounds good, but in reality... They rejected God. They didn't believe that God would flood the world. They loved their sin more than God. A preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And he continues, he, he keeps giving us these, these examples. Verse 6, And if he condemned the city of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter? Two whole cities. Remember Abraham? Remember how he tried to say, Well, God, why don't you preserve these cities? And he gets him down to like ten people, and God says, I'm sorry. There weren't even ten godly people in those two cities. 
Isn't that incredible? So God brought his people out. And even in that, his wife loved Sodom and Gomorrah more. And we have the testament of her turning to salt when she looked back. Yet he rescued Lot, right? Verse 7. And though he was oppressed by the sensual conduct of the, the men around him, it's interesting here, is this how we respond? I'm not saying we're full-fledged Sodom and Gomorrah, but we're getting close. Do we respond in the same way? Is, 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 is our response, verse 8, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, Lot, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented. Tormented by sin. Are we that way? Do we see sin and, and it breaks our hearts? Because we see men and women who are being led down to the pit of hell through all that the world says, this will bring you pleasure. This will bring you happiness. Or they're being told, well, Jesus loves you even if you continue to live in sin. No. Not, not saying that... It, it, okay, let me clarify. Not in the sense that He doesn't love us, but in He hates sin. He died so that we could be free from sin, but if we continue in sin, guess what? Hell is our destination. That's what He says. God loved us enough. He demonstrated His love in sending His Son for us. But if we reject Him, what are we saying? Yeah, we don't need you. We don't need that blood that we sang about today. We don't need to be cleansed. We're, we're good enough. And that's what the world wants the church to believe. They want people to believe, well, as long as you, you know, assent to Jesus, then you're okay. We need to repent and turn to Him. Repent. Repentance is not a one-way street. It is a turn around. It is a 180. We're going on the road to destruction. And there's only one other way. And it's the other way. The only way to heaven is the opposite direction of sin and hell. The world doesn't like this. You mean I have to change my life? Well, you can't do it in your own strength. Just so you know. I've tried and it didn't succeed. But when Christ changed my heart, I didn't want that anymore. The pleasure of sin didn't have value in my life anymore. But turning around and seeing the joys of heaven, the joy of walking with God. Yes, there are difficult times. I'm not lying. I'm not going to tell you it's not difficult. But the joy of following Christ is far greater than any pleasure, no, no matter how momentary or not, this life gives. I mean, there are men and women walking this world, famous, have lots of money, but they can't stay married. They can't enjoy the things that God has given in this life. Why? Because they've believed the lie that their life will be okay if they got the wife, the, the car, the house, the power, the money, whatever it may be.
And thankfully, there is hope for those of us who are following Christ. Because the Bible says that, verse 9 here, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. We need Him. Because the temptation to follow men is so strong. To follow people who have a charismatic personality. I mean, it's just hard to dislike that person. Well, the devil can use that. I'm not saying that every charismatic person, like personality-wise, is, is not a Christian. I, I'm not saying that, but we have to be careful. If we do have a charismatic personality, if we have a, a, a personality that people want to be around, we have to be careful that we're not leading them astray. And that we're teaching them, hey, who cares how good I can pr- produce uh, language that just is soothing? You need to check the word. It's those kinds of people who are in the world, too, that will easily lead you astray. A prime example, I've, I've used him a few times, and I do pray that God will change his heart, but Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you've listened to or he's a psychologist, but he has a way with words. I mean, it's like listening to somebody from the, the 40s. This very articulate And it's not that everything he says is wrong, but the problem is his perspective is wrong. He doesn't realize the nature of sin. And because of that, he doesn't know the Lord. And though he says a lot of right things, and he he gives a lot of good advice that actually is founded somewhat in Scripture, it eventually falls apart because he's not in service to Christ himself. And there are men like him who are leading astray in the opposite. They're completely rejecting God and and they have charismatic personalities and they're drawing hundreds and thousands of people to themselves, but in reality, what are they doing? They're drawing them away from God because they don't care about the souls. They're wolves. They, they make you think, well, we want you to succeed in life, and they're really just motivational speakers. You know, come, come join my training seminar, and, and you'll, be, you'll become a great leader and, and all this. They just want your money. <laughs> they're every, I mean, on Facebook, it seems like every third or fourth ad is some, some personal life coach. Uh, for those of you who are on Facebook, but that is popular. They wouldn't be there. Wouldn't be ads on Facebook if people weren't actually buying into this. But he goes on. He says, "Rescue the godly from temptation, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh." in its corrupt desires and despise authority. I mean, this is... I mean, we could just circle this and define the American culture today, unfortunately. This despising of authority, this hatred of anyone telling them that their desires are wrong. This is, this is the world we live in. 
You say, well, you haven't even mentioned the people that were, the, the, the reason why you are preaching this message. Well, we need to know what the scripture says before we even address the, the, the actual um, movements and organizations that I am seeing. Because if we don't know what the word says about these things, then we'll just act like it's no big deal. Because this is especially true with one of the issues that I'm going to address. People are cozying up to a known heresy as though it's no big deal. Well, yeah, I can be friends with them. I'm not saying we can't be a light to them, but there's a difference between close friendship with the world, right? In but not of. That doesn't mean we can't invite those people to our home for dinner, but we need to be careful that we're not enveloping ourselves in that culture or that heresy, especially when they claim to be Christians. It's a different thing to have sinners who know they're sinners and they don't care than people who are saying, I'm a Christian, but I'm living this way and I'm saying this about Jesus or about the, the Trinity. Because destruction is imminent for all who do not believe, who are living in sin. So what are some of these things? Unfortunately, Mr. Lambs had to wait till last to get his, but <laughs> uh, the first one that I noticed was this trans... Well, I'll be careful. It's called a translation of the Bible, but it really is a commentary... And even as a commentary, it's problematic. But it's called the Passion Translation. I don't know if any of you have heard of this translation, but it is not a translation. It's actually more... So the NIV, if you don't know, is a paraphrase. Sometimes it's good. The point of a paraphrase is to translate with the the emphasis on the meaning of what the translators think is the full meaning of what that... Uh, sentence or that section means. And so sometimes they'll add a few words or they'll, they'll just try to make it more clear. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's not. The Passion Translation claims to be a translation. That means they're saying that from the Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew that the translation is like a direct thing. Well, the whole purpose of the, the Passion Translation, according to their website, is we're trying to discover, communicate, and release, hmm, interesting, release God's heart through the words we choose. It's very interesting. So it's a very emotive translation. Again, I don't think it's... and. There aren't any scholars, at least biblical scholars, who agree with this being a translation. All of them say it's a, it's a commentary at best. And even as a commentary, there are a lot of problems with it. So this is how he translates. So it's mainly one translator who actually was a Bible translator in Mexico, interestingly. He's a charismatic person, and so that affects it. But he translates the, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer like this. See if you notice any differences. Our Heavenly Father, may the glory of your name be the center on which our life turns. May your Holy Spirit come upon us and cleanse us. 
Manifest your kingdom on earth and give us our needed bread for the coming day. Forgive our sins as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us and rescue us every time we face tribulations. Does that sound like the Lord's Prayer that you've heard? No, he's taking a lot of liberty in adding, I believe, to Scripture. His whole purpose, and you you can see it, unfortunately you can't get a free version of this, <laughs> interestingly. Um, and they've actually been taken off of, like, Bible Gateway used to, the, the it's a website and application, used to actually have this translation, and they actually kicked it off because there was so much backlash about what this translation was doing. But the whole purpose of this translation is, is to feel the emotion of God because that's lacking in Scripture. I'm like, have you never read verses about the wrath of God, the love of God, the, the, the joy of Christ, His tears? I mean, it's throughout Scripture. We don't need to add emotions that are lacking. They're there. We see it in David, the way he talks to Jonathan. That is that emotive? I think so. I mean, Song of Solomon, I mean, that's pretty... <laughs> there's a lot of uh, emotive language there. The Scriptures don't need this addition. But this man says, well, I have... The Holy Spirit is really helping me understand... God's emotion behind this. This is a, a, another quote from their website. It says, The meaning of a passage took priority over the form of the original words. Sometimes, in order to communicate the correct intended meaning, words needed to be changed. Now that, to me, is a major problem. But this has been... Proclaimed especially in charismatic circles as, oh man, this, this is the first time I've really understood the Word of God. What? That's what the Holy Spirit is for. That's what Jesus said. He gave us the Holy Spirit for that purpose. So, I have a, a big problem with the Passion Translation. I hope you don't have it at home. And I wouldn't recommend buying it. But I'm saying this is going on. There, there are translations out there now, this is a prime example that I just happened to stumble upon. That we have to be careful that just because it labels itself as a Bible doesn't mean that it is. And again, I'm, I'm not throwing all paraphrases like NIV under the bus. They, actually, in the Spanish, we use NIV a lot in Spanish because it's more helpful for especially young people. Now... I think you should let them know, hey, this is a paraphrase. This isn't a word-for-word word or what would be considered a wooden translation. You know, if you're looking for word-for-word, word, I use NASB. That's, I know that can sometimes be wooden. KJV, King James Version, is wooden, in what they'll say. Or ESV is actually a word-for-word word translation. Um, CSB is another one. So there, there are plenty of good translations that are staying as close to the text, the original text, as possible. We don't need these. That, that's why we need the Holy Spirit. Like we were talking about, that discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit. We need Him to give us 
illumination. It's, it's the Holy Spirit's job to illuminate our minds, to give us understanding of God's Word. How many times have you sat down and read the same passage and you're like, I never saw that before. I have. Many times you're just like, thank you, Lord, that you, know, you knew when I needed to see this part of this. And I'm thankful that you did that. But if you're, if you're like him, essentially, once you get this passing translation, then you should have everything you need. You don't need the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Scripture to yourself anymore. Because, uh, I can't remember his name, but this guy has got it all for you. But that wasn't the only one. I saw an ad on Facebook. Wildlife is the name of it. I don't know if you've seen this one. But it's a, it's a church and organization slash movement that is out of Sri Lanka. I don't know why it was on my Facebook page as an ad. I guess uh, they thought I was ready to, to join such a movement. But um, this is something directly from their website about the two leaders. It's a husband and wife. It says, their call was a supernatural launch into the deep, mystical realms of Christ. Hmm. Does this sound like something we've been talking about the last few weeks, months? Colossians, the deep, mystical realms of Christ. They have a, a deep, mystical understanding of Christ, and so that, that elevates them to authority to speak into your lives. Sounds like Eastern religion to me. Another part of their website says, A supernaturally empowered people who believe that Christ, that the Christ mantle, I don't know what that is, I'm assuming it's like the mantle of Elijah, is a free gift of God through His Son to humanity. The Christ being, I don't know what that is, the solution to complete the incomplete world. They're using strange language, language that is actually rooted in a mystical tradition, especially um, like Taoism, Buddhism, Hinduism. This language is coming from that. That should be a, a very clear warning to us. Again, I'm bringing these things. You can go and check them out yourself and tell me, well... I think you should reconsider this. Great. I'm fine with that. I'm just telling you what I'm seeing and why I have concerns about these. But essentially, these, this couple are creating a religion, honestly, that elevates them to kind of like an intermediary. Right? That This is what Paul was dealing with in Colossians. This is why we... Read books like Colossians so we remember the, the value and the supremacy of Christ. Because these people want us to believe that because they had some mystical experience with God, that suddenly they are authority above Scripture and above Christ Himself. Another quote from their website. We're forerunners, prophetic reformers bringing progressive revelations that will not leave Christendom looking the same. Hmm. You all ready to go jump on that bus? I'm not. I would more, more likely put myself in a Guatemalan bus. 
<laughs> than that one. But we have to be careful. This is a little bit more overt, right? It, it's a little bit easier to see, uh, this could be a problem. This is a, pro- a problem that's drawing people away. But the, unfortunately, there are many people who are not discerning. They, they haven't been taught truth enough to be able to see what's being said is a problem. And they're buying in. I mean, our culture is full of mystical language. And I mean, just go out, especially right now around Halloween. There's all this mystical stuff going on right now. Language that's used. Been doing research on Halloween. It's not on this this list because it'd take a whole sermon to deal with that one. But as Christians, we must be on guard. We need to have our spiritual antennae up to be listening. Okay, there's some good things here. Yes, we want to see reform in the church. We want to see God speaking to the church, but this is going to leave Christendom completely different than what it was before. This is some mystical... Anytime I hear the word mystic or mystical, I'm like, hmm, let's see what they mean. And I could not find anything on their website that clearly defined what they meant. And the, the use of this... The fact that they had to put the word deep in front of mystical is a pretty good sign that it's not good. So that's another one. If you, if you see an ad for wildlife on Facebook, uh, you won't be surprised. Another one that is different, but it's actually an old heresy. Have you heard of modalism? Anyone? It's the, the idea that Jesus that God is not a trinity. That God presents himself not as three persons, but as three modes. Or manifestations is actually the way it's uh, used today. Especially, I don't know if you've heard of oneness Pentecostal. And that the oneness Pentecostal is this view... They, don't, they will refuse to say they're modalists because they say, well, we believe that God came in different, mode or different manifestations. They don't use the word mode because they know that that would automatically disprove it. It's just wrapped differently, different language. But it denies the Trinity. It denies the, the full personhood of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is very dangerous. I didn't even know that this was a bit a thing until I was... Uh, there was a band that I used to like. I don't know if you've heard of Phillips, Craig, and Dean. They're, they're oneness Pentecostals. They believe this. They don't, they don't believe in the Trinity as Orthodox. You know when, when modalism first came up? That's why we have the Nicene Creed. Because modalism was happening that early in church history. But it's just been, been repackaged and reintroduced. And so a lot of Pentecostal oneness teachers, you'll notice that they only pray in the name of Jesus. Or they only baptize in the name of Jesus. Because they say, well, that's the final manifestation of God in our world which is interesting because 
Most of them believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, too. It's very interesting how they do that. But, so what's the big deal? Why does it matter that these teachers, and I'm going to name two people that might shock you. Well, maybe not. I don't know. But the, the issue is that you're denying the character of God, the nature, the very nature of God. You know, the Nicene Creed, when they were dealing with this specific issue, the big thing came down to this phrase, one essence. That, yes, each individual of the Trinity, so the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they have the same nature, but they have different ways of being, um, what's the word? It's not manifested, but they have different ways in which they work. You know, think about this one picture, the, the baptism of Christ. Who do, who do we have? What persons of the Trinity do we have at His baptism? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? We have Jesus in the flesh being baptized. And then what, is it, what does the Father say? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then what does the Holy Spirit do? It descends like a dove. Now, I don't know how you, and especially in oneness theology, how you fix that problem. But essentially what it does is it denies the divinity of Christ. He's just a manifestation of God. He's not God in the flesh. And this is very, this is a gross heresy. This is a heresy from the beginning of church history. Unfortunately, the two people that I am about to name are extremely popular. One is T.D. Jakes, which I don't know if you knew that, and Joyce Meyer. These two people are both oneness Pentecostals. Their website, when it talks about the relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they'll say manifested, and that's the key phrase. Their language is very similar. It almost sounds like they're Trinitarian, but when you get down to the nitty-gritty, they actually believe in this modalist view and this manifestation. So we have to be careful. Just because they're popular does not mean that they're okay. I mean, I don't know if you've heard of Elevation Church. They have T.D. Jakes in their services on occasion. T.D. Jakes and uh, Stephen Furtick are friends. That's concerning to me. I don't, I don't know if, if Furtick just doesn't realize that he's that or not, but his, if you go to T.D. Jakes' website and Joyce Meyer's website, they both have the, that phrasing of each one being manifested. It's essentially taking the word mode and, and changing it to a more common term. So we need to be careful with these people. And this leads to a fourth issue. And I've, I've already, a, a few weeks, maybe a month ago, I addressed this to some point, but I have been noticing a big shift among Christians 
in their relationship with the LDS slash Mormon church. A lot of people acting like that Mormonism is okay. And Mormons themselves claiming they're Christians. Now, I mean, they have done that since the beginning. But as Christians, I'm seeing more and more Christians act like Mormons are just another denomination of Christians. They are not. They are a cult. They are a heretical cult. Would you like to hear a quick gospel presentation from the Mormon church? <laughs> well, we all grew, we, we were all spirit babies of God. This is direct from the Mormon church video. This is a, a and, and God sent us to earth to see if we would do right or wrong, because he didn't know. They didn't add that, but that's the obvious point of to see if they would do right or wrong. And then, because they did wrong, he sent another one of his children. So we're all children of God at that point. Are we, does that line up with Scripture? It says we're made in the image of God, but not until we become believers does Romans say we become children of God. It says we're children of wrath, actually, prior to that. So, then the gospel message from there, from Jesus coming to earth to Jesus dying, is very similar, actually, in Mormonism. But the problem is, what happens after you die? When you die, if you're a good Mormon, then you get to go to this celestial realm. And you and your family, and there's eternal marriage. Now, does that line up with Scripture? What what does Jesus say about marriage after death? Does it continue? No. Now, either the Bible is lying or the Book of Mormon is lying. Well, they believe that your family goes with you and you actually have spirit babies and you populate your own planet. This, this is, I'm not making this up. Yes, this is true. It's on the, the video I watched. <laughs> it's, and I don't want to, to cast Mormons in a bad light. There are some things about Mormons that, honestly, Christians should be more willing to go out and share the gospel. The reason they have so many converts is because they go to door to door often why do they do it, though? Do you know why? Because it's a sacrament. It gets them into heaven. It's, it's a way of showing that they're, they're a good person. But there's different tiers of heaven. So there's like the really good ones, and then there's the mostly good ones, and then the, the just barely got in ones. So there's three tiers, and then finally there's hell. Does that sound like Scripture. No. And they deny the divinity of Christ. They'll say, yeah, we believe He's a... They, they'll say, they'll, they say, well, we believe He's God, or a God is typically what they'll say. Because they believe that there are multiple gods, that we would become gods. That's what happens when you go to the celestial realm. You become a god, and that's how you populate a planet. I know this sounds completely 
But it's true. I'm not making this up. But Christians are, are cuddling up to Mormons right now. So how many of you know what Angel Studios is? Or uh, VidAngel? Any of you all heard of that? So VidAngel is a, a streaming program that actually deletes bad scenes and takes out language. Well, that was started by a Mormon company. Now, Angel Studios is the offspring of that, and they are the, the, the production producers, or the, the, the studio that has produced The Chosen, which I don't know of anyone here who hasn't heard of The Chosen. Well, I've, I've talked about my concerns about Dallas Jenkins. Not, I'm not putting him under the, I'm not saying he's driving a bus yet, Okay. But some things that he said have really concerned me. What was it? Do you remember what I said? Anyone? He said, this is a quote from a video of his. I'm not, I'm not trying to take it out of context, but he was arguing because he gets a lot of flack because he's working with Mormons on that part. Now, season two was actually filmed in a Jerusalem set of the Mormon church. And... To, to get it on that, the Mormon church asked that they could um, show, have the season on BYU TV. So season two of The Chosen was actually on BYU TV, which BYU is a Mormon, Brigham Young University, so it's a Mormon uh, college or university. And now Mormons are loving The Chosen, which is interesting. But that's because thus far there's no actual quote from Jesus that, that has, to my knowledge, I, I need to watch The Chosen, I'll be honest. I'm not, I'm not wanting to throw The Chosen under the bus. Megan actually liked the first season. She thought it was really good. Um, but my concern is he said that he, he served the same Jesus as his Mormon friends. Now, either he's naive, or there's something wrong. I don't know which one. I don't think he's naive. He, I mean, his dad was a Hebrew scholar. And, I mean, I'm concerned that he is being influenced, whether he realizes it or not, by the fact that these are nice people. I've had Mormon friend, people that I, I worked for a Mormon guy. I mean, super nice guy. Really kind. And I never had an issue working for him. But the problem is, what do they believe? Why are they nice? Because we can be the same way. Why are we nice to others? Is it because we think God will save us? Well, that's a part of their... That's why, they're, they're so in, that's why family is so important to the Mormon church. Because... That marriage union is eternal. It's not a, a short-term thing. Though we should, be, we should be big on marriage because that's what God says. But as, as an issue, I'm interested to see where the chosen goes the further it goes because eventually there has to be a point where Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. And when that happens, the Mormon crowd's going to jump off the bus. 
Now, I don't know what his plans are with the season, but I, I, it's just a cautionary. This, this particular case is just a cautionary. Be, be careful. Again, you don't have to agree with me. You may have seen all of the chosen, and you're like, man, this, this has been really good. And it may be. Again, I have not seen it, so um, forgive me for that. But it's not just people like Dallas Jenkins. It, it concerns me that he said what he said because he knows there's lots of Christians following him, listening to him. I mean, they're getting millions, literally millions of views on their, their episodes, and that's great. The, 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 if, if they're teaching the gospel, if it's true gospel preaching. But the, crush, the question I have is, why are we, we sitting down with them and acting like that what they're teaching is not her- heresy? Jesus says, don't have anything to do with them. This is my problem. They're claiming to be Christians. It's the same thing with... Uh, Oneness Pentecostals. They're claiming to be Christians. So where do we draw the line as believers? Do we say, well, you know, Jesus said not to have anything to do with them, but I'm going to still hang out with them. I'm still going to have them over for barbecues every once in a while. I'm not saying you can't ever have somebody over, but how much time are you spending with people who are teaching or believing a lie? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Because if we're not influencing them, it's not a one-way street. If we're not influencing them, they are influencing us. I know that. I, I, uh, I played rugby for a little while, and I said I was doing it because I wanted um, to be a witness. But in reality, they were <laughs> influencing me. Because all of them weren't Christians, well, there might have been one who claimed to be a Christian, but by and far, the fruit didn't say so. So none of them were Christians, and I'm surrounded by that culture. And I realized that I was changing, and they weren't. Yeah, I didn't curse around them. I wasn't laughing at vulgar jokes, but I realized that my attitude towards opposing teams opposing players was being changed and it wasn't one of hey this is good competition it was man I want to hurt that guy well he he might have deserved it but no <laughs> I felt like he deserved it but I was wrong and I, and when I realized that I was like I'm done I can't play anymore because I am not being a witness for Christ I'm being this is about me enjoying playing this more than being a light for Christ in this atmosphere. And I could have been. I'm not saying I couldn't have been. But I wasn't. The, my reasons were not what I was saying to myself. So finally, we get to Mr. Lanham that sparked this, <laughs> this sermon. There's a, an ad um, initiative out there called He Gets Us. I don't know if any of you saw this. Apparently... I don't know if it's going to be, somebody said something about it's going to be a Super Bowl ad in 2023. I don't know. But they're spending $100 million. So it's, apparently it was an anonymous, some anonymous families who have money. I don't know who. Um, and, and the organization that's doing it is called Servant Ministries. It's actually a, 
United Methodist Church in Kansas City, if I remember correctly. And the first thing that struck me about this is it's very... Um, it's trying to make Jesus relatable, if you haven't seen them. I watched every single video because I didn't want to come up here and say, well, I don't know anything about this. Maybe I should have watched The Chosen. Who knows? <laughs> but the, the issue with it is it's very vague. And it, it tries to make him out to be a rebel. Like one of them is the rebel. So they all have these titles. Um, and it's like, it, it essentially, this one video, it's like these gangsters... Not gangsters, but they're like riding around on bikes. They're all dressed up like they're gang members. And they're like, but, but he didn't hurt anybody. He, I'm like, what? <laughs> like this, this is, this doesn't, if you think that's going to relate to gang members, that's, that's just like completely out there. You know, he, he defied the authorities and it's like, well, no, they, they weren't actually the authorities. God was. And he was saying, you're wrong because you're not in line with God. But one that really got me was one on being anxious. And it said, well, Jesus suffered from anxiety. Hmm. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4. Did Jesus suffer from anxiety? Did he have ex opportunities to suffer from that? Absolutely. Did he actually? I don't believe he did. Because Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing. Question. Does this sound like a suggestion to you? No, it's not. It's actually an imperative. The the word be anxious, is an imperative command. It's not optional. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So my question is, was Paul saying this just because it's Paul, or is this actually a command for the church? I'm not saying that we don't deal with anxiety and we have to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I, I was not right. Did, it, did anyone realize that anxiety can actually be a sin? Why? Why is anxiety sin? Right. We're not trusting God. Was there ever a time in Jesus' ministry that he said he didn't trust the Father. Not once. How many times did Jesus go off alone to pray? Constantly. He would leave the disciples, go up on the mountaintop to pray. Why? Because he had a reason to be anxious, but he knew that it was not right. So he decided to go and pray. 
And even on the mount, when he was suffering the most in Gethsemane, what was he doing? He was praying. He wasn't anxious. He knew what was coming, and he was praying for strength. That's the, that's the response of Christians. And this, this particular, you know, they're not long videos. They're, I mean, they're short uh, ad, ad-sized videos. But it's like it portrays Jesus as, as something that he's not. And I'm not saying that everything on that website is bad, okay? I'm not. I'm just, I'm concerned that they have relationships, it seems, and I couldn't find a 100% confirmation of this, but they have a, a relationship with like Seventh-day Adventists, which is a problem. Um, and and they're, they're, they're trying to make Jesus relatable. And I'm not saying that Jesus is unrelatable. He is, but we shouldn't try to make Jesus something that he's, that he's not. And I'm, I'm, I hope that somebody walks up, you know, I see somebody, I'm maybe sharing the gospel somewhere, and, and somebody says, you know, is that kind of like he gets us? I'm like, oh. well, it might open doors for Christians to share the truth. But what I'm concerned about is it's portraying a Jesus that's kind of a moral teacher more than the Savior that we need. And that's my concern. Because Jesus was either a lunatic or he's a savior. He's not one or the other. Or he's not in between. He can't, he can't be a good moral teacher because he said he was the Messiah. Now, if somebody... Let me ask you this. Let's say you go to lunch today and you go to uh, the local Mexican restaurant. Well, there's lots of them. But let's say you go up here to Fiesta and somebody walks in and says, I'm the Messiah. What are you going to think? Are you going to think that person is, is, is crazy? Probably. Okay. Have you ever heard somebody use the expression, they have a Messiah complex? Is that a good thing? Is that, a, is that, is that saying, man, that, that, that guy is a really good guy? No. We use that idea because we know that there's already been a Messiah. And we would honestly believe that they're crazy, and, and they would have then too. The Jews did, the, the Jewish leadership especially didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. That's why they would get so angry when Jesus said, I am. Or when Jesus would, would imply by his words that he was the Messiah. That's my biggest concern about that, that ad, is it's not proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. There's, on the website, there's no mention of sin and repentance that I could find. I, I, I tried to scour the whole thing. Um, and it concerns me because what is happening I, I'm seeing this in our, in our world is we're making Jesus soft and cuddly, approachable. Not saying that he isn't, but we're making him so approachable 
that he's no longer the Messiah anymore. It's really, you know, if you think back to what we read in in 2 Peter, we are maligning him. We are, I'm trying to find the word here. We are denying, really, the master who bought us. He is either Lord and Savior and we need to repent of our sins and and run after Him, or He is not. I don't want to follow a moral teacher. I want to follow the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Son of God in the flesh. And I, I desire for each of you that you're not led astray by... And again, again, some of these things are are concerns, but some of these are downright heresy. And we have to be careful as believers to to understand what these things are. And this is why... I'm not saying you have to become a theologian, but why it's important for us to, to do some research, to find out, you know, what does that mean? How does, you know, the Trinity is a very difficult thing to understand, myself included. I don't know if, if you, if you got the Trinity figured out, I'm, I'll be, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Um, but there are, there are parts of, God that we just won't understand this time, this side of heaven. But that doesn't mean we stop pursuing Him, desiring to know Him, desiring to understand who God is. That's what theology is all about, a study of God. We should be constantly, when we're reading the Word, try to to understand, what does this passage say about who God is? His character, how He deals with people, how He impacts our lives. Because when we do that, we will not only be discerning, but we'll be ready when those lies are brought out. Christ died so that we could have eternal life with Him. The question is, do we want that or do we just want comfort in this life? Do we want to please others in this life? Do we want the world to think we're okay because we're buddy-buddy with XYZ? I believe that this message is a call to us. Get ready. Know the Word. Know the Word. Not only for teachers out there, but for myself. I need pushback. I need kickback. I need to be reminded, well, what about this passage? And that will require me to go back and, and understand, well, how does this passage line up with what I just said? We all need to know the Word. We're not exempt because we sit in the pew or, or vice versa. I'm not exempt from, from people checking what I'm saying, and you're not exempt from being able to bring forth truth and and remind me, hey, you, you, sh- you might have wanted to bring out this from another passage. But the, the great thing is, God knows how to rescue us. He can keep us from temptation. He can keep us from le- being led astray. He keeps His own. His own know His voice. Remember that in John 
if we're abiding in Him and His words abide in us, we will not be led astray. Let's pray.